And I think that's just true to the woman that I dress. Like, she's strong, she's powerful, and she's glamorous. And you can do so many things with a suit and a blazer and, like, a bold color. And I think also my prints are signature that um, stand out. I design them on my own, so they're all original prints. And I think those are the two things that kind of stand out when you think about me and my brand and my collections. Well, that sounds so authentic because you were talking about the, your origin story yeah. of, like, the bold shoulders and the prints. <laughs> It carries on in your work. Yeah, yeah. Um, your family must be so proud. Your whole community Aww. must be so proud. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Kimberly Jenkins. You're listening to The Invisible Seam, where we open up the archive of American fashion and celebrate its Black contributions. This is our special bonus episode, the connecting thread. This Black History Month, we're bringing you three conversations from three different important voices in fashion, Clarence Ruth, Megan Smith, and Jonathan Hayden. I wanted to talk with each of them to learn more about how they nurtured a relationship to fashion, how they navigated a career as young designers, and what the future looks like for the Black youth who are interested in this industry. As Law Roach said in episode five of The Invisible Seam, if you let me in, I'm taking the door with me. Well, Clarence, Megan, and Jonathan are definitely taking the door off the hinges and opening a path for other young Black designers in the future. That's not to say that they didn't each have their own challenges working their way through the fashion world. In each conversation, you'll hear about the connecting threads that got them to where they are today. Each of these designers are working to champion equity across the fashion industry. They all participated in the New Legacy Challenge, a design competition developed through a partnership between Tommy Hilfiger's People's Place program and Harlem's Fashion Row. We're gonna start this bonus episode with a conversation with the winner of the New Legacy Challenge, Clarence Ruth. Clarence is the creator and designer of his own fashion line, Cote d'Armes. Here's Clarence on how this experience helped him break into the fashion industry. You were the winner of the new Legacy Challenge. Tell me about that experience. Experience was pretty wonderful. I think in the moment of being the announcement when Tommy announced me, I was not surprised, but just a little bit overwhelmed being the journey that I took beforehand. Being the Tommy brand, being one of those brands that kind of sparked that inspiration for me to become a designer. For it to come full circle in that moment, for him to be there to announce me, it was just like, whoa, okay, this is this is something really, really huge and special. I felt a sense of me as a person, as a designer, as a creative, representing the Black community, uh, especially in fashion, which kind of was a very emotional thing, being and seeing other designers and creative before me kind of go through that that hard journey of getting to a certain place, getting there, and then still kind of going through a different journey just to maintain or become what they are. We all know how, you know, the percentage of how many Black creatives are in positions like creative director's positions. The percentage is very, very low. It does not equal out. And so getting the opportunity to work with other amazing Black talent and helping to open those doors is very crucial and key to me. So any opportunity that I get to collaborate and work with these talented individuals is amazing. 
What is it like working with other leading black designers in fashion right now? Uh, for me, I find that, you know, some of the most talented people in the industry are the black creatives, being that they have had a lot of time and had to go through adversity to get there. So we have to kind of like re-challenge ourselves over and over and over, which kind of brings our talent level up because we're like now pouring into this more and more, right? Um, it takes us a harder time to get there, a longer time to get there. So it's more working on our craft, working on our craft. So by the time we get to an opportunity that we're able to showcase our talent, able to uh, be in a position of creative direction, to uh, let the world see our creation, it's, it's a lot of times very bold and very creative and connects with people um, right away, being our history and experience here in America. I want to loop back to the new legacy challenge real quick. Has it continued to be an uplifting source for you or kind of what has it made possible? I think the the challenge kind of put me on a stage where I was able to be seen by the industry, maybe by many people that didn't see me before. Because I had my brand before the new Legacy Challenge. I think they just created a platform that I was able to be on that opened people's eyes to who I am as a, as a creative. I think that's number one. Number two, just being able to work with the Tommy Hilfiger team and brand, like I think that that's just, just truly amazing being that, for me, it was like, one of the brands I looked up to. And it's one of those things where, like, we're building a relationship where it's just, like, like not just a one project thing, but building on to multiple projects, which is a blessing. Being able to work with the Tommy brand and them opening up their resources to me to be able to just kind of continue business, continue to work on my business, it opened up the opportunity to connect with other organizations and other brands and be connected to, you know, to that, which is a, extremely a blessing because it's all about who you know in this industry. Just seeing that it was being ran by all black, you know, organizations, businesses, the producer, a black woman, Dallas, the photographer, black, you know. And so for me, that was like a surprising gift. And I connected really well with all these people. And it's, it's, it's something with it as well when like you see yourself and then we understand the journey. We understand one another. And then we connect and we're able to create magic all in our own talents. We bring it together to create magic. And I think it was just really amazing experience for me. And I would love for the industry to kind of open up to that a bit more. I think we also really need to understand and also celebrate the people that's not of color that have opened up their resources and have stepped in. This won't be able to happen without them believing in the movement and coming in. I don't think we talk about that enough, and we need to do that. For for Tommy Hilfiger, he's been doing this for years, and he's been allowing and opening up his doors for black talent, black collaboration, black designers on his team. And so without these people kind of stepping forth and kind of starting the trend, it would be very, very hard for us to kind of get out there. And even though there's a long way to go, we do need to give knowledge to these people that's kind of stepping in um, and, and opening up these doors and, and creating it, these spaces for us. What are some of the barriers that you kind of observe in this space? You've been an exception, but what kind of barriers have perhaps held back other Black creatives, designers, you know, with the same vision and same dream from getting into these spaces? You know, it's interesting. My brother came to me the other day. He asked me, he said, do you think we'll ever see the next Michael Jordan? And uh, and I kind of thought about it and I said, you know what? I believe the next Michael Jordan is playing right now, but he's not giving the opportunity to get on the court 
to have more time to do that. Why? Because maybe he didn't go to a university or maybe he didn't go through this avenue or this. So I'm like, you know, I believe he's already there and we're just not seeing it because of that. I think that that plays a part in the fashion industry as well. When you're going for a job or when you're going for a position, even a competition, they're like, send your resume. Who have you worked with? Some of us, we, don't, we didn't have the funds to go to a university or do this or do that. It doesn't mean that we don't have the talent or the skill level, right? Now, when those opportunities are opened up to black talents, we see what they do. Uh, you got Virgil as an example and, and, and many others that came before him that have just blew the world, you know, by storm and now created this whole new kind of era of design and culture and, and have opened the, the opportunities up as a whole. So I think, like— if we can get the industry to understand that and open up more opportunities and allow that freedom of creativity, we would see a better industry as a whole. Can I add one more thing? I have to say that uh, my son, Christian, is the number one inspiration in why I do everything that I do. Having him and come into my life, was it, it kind of totally changed the beast mode in me. My beast mode would probably was at 100, is now at 5,000. So for me, when you see me as an artist, as an author, as a designer, that's, that stems to my son and seeing him and wanting to create a better life and world for him. Me and the struggle that I'm going through, I don't want him to have to even deal with not one cent of that. And so for me, I work very, very hard to create the opportunity, not just for him, but every other young black boy and girl, a Latino boy and girl, or Asian boy and girl, so they can just freely express themselves creatively and just be good people, you know, so... I really appreciate how Clarence is using the New Legacy Challenge to model what is possible for his son, understanding just how important it is to leave his mark as a successful fashion designer who is Black. Like Clarence, Megan Smith also competed in the New Legacy Challenge. She is the creator of Megan Renee, a sustainable women's fashion brand. I was eager to talk to Megan about her trajectory in the fashion industry and the importance of visibility, because I know the pressure of being a Black woman in fashion. Do you remember the first time you really knew you wanted to work in fashion? My mom was a teenage mother, so we sort of grew up together. So she was heavily immersed in, like, the 90s supermodel, the Vogue era. Like, she was obsessed with Prince. And so growing up with her, I was, like, involved in all of that. And so my family is full of women. And I just remember like the women in my family being just always dressed up and glamorous and makeup. And even my mom was just like this like glamazon that, you know, that I just like was in awe of. I remember I used to spend like my allowance on Vogue magazines and things like that because I just was so in love with that culture. You know, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, those were kind of like the pinnacle for me. When I was younger, I used to make clothes for my Barbies. <laughs> I would like take socks or wherever I could find fabric around the house and I would like just cut it and piece it together and I had a small sewing kit. And so I think that was like my earliest introduction to fashion. And then once my grandmother bought me a sewing machine and she she taught me how to sew. I think from then on, I knew I wanted to be in fashion. So when I got to college, I didn't necessarily major in fashion design because in my mind, I always thought being a black fashion designer, I, there's no way I could make enough money to live off of. My major actually was veterinary medicine. 
But I showed up to my dorm with, like, my sewing machine and everything. And so people were like, oh, you're a fashion major. And I'm like, no, I'm actually vet med, but I do this in my spare time. And so my grades were so, like, bad the first year because I just wasn't interested in, you know, learning about animals and cattle in the middle of Kansas City. Like, I was like, this is not me. But once I changed into fashion, I just knew that's what I wanted to do. You knew. Yeah. Was there any anxiety, or did that kind of quell the anxiety? Like, once you yeah. got into it, you could see there's actually careers in this. Yeah. I knew the path to make the type of salary that I wanted to make wouldn't be easy because there just wasn't a lot of visibility as far as, like, black designers. My earliest memory of, like, a black fashion designer was, like, Kimora Lee Simmons or Rachel Roy. And so I used those as kind of, like, my, you know, mentor, kind of, like, what I aspired to achieve. But studying jobs and everything, I just knew that there wasn't, it wasn't going to be an easy route. Once I graduated, I just remember being in classes full of other fashion design students, and I was one of the only. There wasn't even a lot of Black students, to be honest, at my school. Our Black population made up less than 1%. So I was in these classes, and just I was the one of only. And then once I moved to L.A., and I started to actually work into the industry doing private labels, still, again, I was one of only. So... In a way, it was good because I stood out, but I felt like I had more to prove because of that. And, you know, as I progressed and then I started my own line and began to really, you know, make a name for myself, I don't think it fully has sunk in until within the past couple of years what it means to be a Black designer. And I think one of the things that helped that was just hearing from other aspiring designers and the visibility that I've received from some of the things that I've competed in and accomplished. It's like, okay, well, there's more at stake just than me building a brand. Like, people are looking at me. Women are looking at me. And so those are the things that really put it into perspective and make me realize that it's more than just the monetary and the success of it. What are some of the barriers you've kind of observed in being in that space, especially in the last couple of years. What does that look like? I think the biggest barrier that I've experienced is definitely monetary. Um, I think Black designers, we we don't have access to capital or um, business coaching or, you know, the creative part, that's the part that we got down and that's easy. But that other side of the business, which keeps you going, is so hard to, like, obtain. And it's only from, like, grants and competitions that I was able to, you know, actually build my brand. I started everything just from me working a full-time job and using that extra income to put into my brand. And so you have to get really smart about how you spend your money and where you get that money from. So I think for Black designers, that's the biggest barrier that I've experienced for sure. What are your hopes for the next generation of Black creatives in the fashion space? And I'd even broaden this question to say, what are your hopes for the industry, especially as we're talking about how few Black women there are? We have more work to do. We do. We have a lot more work to do. But I think we're definitely making change, and I love the changes that we are making. My hopes is just for more visibility, I think. I think by, you know, the Legacy Challenge and competitions like this, this is where the visibility comes into play. Honestly, I feel like Black women designers, there should be more. I know there's more, but I think there's so much talent out here, and I know so many Black women designers that are amazing. I would love to see more visibility for Black women designers, to be honest with you. I think that's like an area that's lacking 
in the industry. Not to take away from the men, because I think we're all, you know, talented and within our own right. But I would love to see that. I think that's why it was so important for me in the legacy competition to really, like, do a good job. Is because I was one of, you know, I was the only female, and I'm competing against two, two amazing male designers that has done menswear. And I just felt like it was really important to me to do a good job and prove that there are Black women designers that are, you know, talented and creative and able to hold their own in the industry. The complexities and dimensions of racial identity in fashion is one that new legacy contestant Jonathan Hayden knows all too well. Here's our conversation on mentorship, the intersection of identity and fashion, and his trajectory. Tell me about how you got into the fashion industry. What was the trajectory like for a young Jonathan Hayden? Just starting in college would be where I really got into the fashion industry. I really didn't know that much about what went into making clothes and the world behind selling it. But I just loved how creatively challenging fashion is. And um, when I moved to Dallas, while I was in school, I was volunteering for a fashion show production company. So, you know, I'd go to class, design, 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 and then... With my free time beyond a job, I was backstage volunteering, dressing models, and and that had its own trajectory where I, after eight years, was an assistant producer for that same company. But it was my, like, window into getting to see what luxury clothing looked like, to see what the clothing of brands like Oscar de la Renta, you know, when he was still alive, looked like, and hear the codes from the team in New York, and um, Dries Van Noten, Hader Ackerman, Alexander McQueen, Dior, Carolina Herrera, like, that was really, I think, where I was being, like, cultivated to work in this industry quietly behind the scenes. I think that's why we get along, because I can relate to that in my trajectory going into fashion. I was in various spaces that may not have made sense at the time or or were just sort of all over the place, but it all seemed to work out and make a lot of sense. And I think what makes you so special in the industry, really your secret weapon is just how versatile you are. You've seen every angle and corner of the fashion system. I mean, I worked for Dallas Cowboys Merchandising. That was designing mass merchandise for the fans. You know, that's not really fashion, but it is apparel. And then... That internship didn't turn into a job for various reasons, but I ended up at an Inc. 500 company designing prints. So that's really where a lot of the printmaking from my own brand started to to take. Uh, I think that the real honest-to-goodness truth is that I've been trying and still trying to figure out where I where the hell I fit in this industry. You know, what does a person who isn't from a certain pedigree or certain social class with existing connections who's purely on merit alone and and work, where do they find themselves? So I have retail experience. I have commission retail experience. I have fashion show event production, nonprofit fashion experience, designing, couture, mass. You know, it's really like every individual opportunity I've ever been given, I took because there wasn't another one coming, you know, and it's always been a stepping stone to the next one. And now looking back at younger Jonathan Hayden, and as far as you've come, all the experiences, the good and the bad, 
What advice would you give your younger self? Uh, I think really understanding that you, no one's going to advocate for you other than yourself. Uh, no one is going to understand the vision that you see for your future, for your brand. So um, really understanding that and translating that into um, negotiating points for the people you want to bring along for your mission, be it manufacturers, sponsors, um, brands like Tommy Hilfiger, um, to, to believe would be, you know, my piece of advice to my younger self. What is the importance of having black mentors in your career? It's really been women, I would say black women, who have, like, helped me. My first sewing teacher was a black woman, you know, who let me kind of go off and do my own thing in high school. I was a very angry 17-year-old. I, you know, where I went to school, I had a lot of older black female classmates. And um, there were many times where I would just be, like, bawling my eyes out in a classroom with one of them. And they would be encouraging me and telling me, like, this is this is just the beginning and this is just one small. <laughs> like, you don't even realize, you know, how minuscule this, this obstacle you're up against is to... Um, when I first moved to New York and I was really having a tough time um, finding a rhythm and um, I worked for uh, a mentor of mine, Farai Samoyi. She owns the narrative. And um, But yeah, like today it's Brandis Daniel at Harlem's Fashion Row. It's, um, it's women like you, you know. It's, it's, it's always more meaningful to me when... <laughs> when I'm being checked in on, honestly, um, because otherwise it's a pretty lonely, it's a pretty lonely road, and and that goes beyond just uh, fashion. I think you know, being a single gay man is in itself a very like lonely experience. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, honestly, I think the advice I'd I'd probably give to young designers is uh, talk less and do more. Um, and it really is about what you do when no one's looking. But finding, like, the safer confidants you can kind of share what's really going on, uh, I think humanizes and explains why the speed of your career might be what it is and why you might only be as far as you are. And that and it's hard to balance because from the outside, people are like, wow, like, you've made it so far. And absolutely, yes, I've had many amazing opportunities. Um, but the backside of that is, you know, it's a very expensive industry cash up front ticket to participate in the pageantry of fashion. Like James Baldwin would say, the world hasn't evolved a space for you. Um, and in a lot of ways, like, I, I sort of think of him as my avatar because I think he had a, a sentiment about him that was about being free, about, I mean, I think there is a quote of him talking about the way he organized his life was to allow himself to move as freely and as farly as possible, and that's why he was in Europe for as long as he was. In all three of these conversations I had, one connecting thread kept coming up. What sets Black design apart? And what is it about Black visionaries? The history, um, I think, because our history with uh, slavery, with things that we have to kind of work through or build through, within us, we still kind of deal with that because it's in the blood. Now, we never were slaves, 
but it's in the blood and we're still dealing with the backlash of that, right? And so because of that, it builds up a certain type of person. It builds something in you. One, I want to reach this goal for not just my people, for my family, for this. So you're working a little bit harder, right? To reach that goal of of something that like people have told you that you won't be able to reach or uh, you don't see many of yourself there, right? Um, and so I think that beast mode in us, I think, is the difference. It's something that kind of sets us apart when we are giving the opportunity to kind of create and build. I guess for the listeners who don't know and won't see me when they're listening to this, I'm not just a black man. I'm a Japanese man. I'm a, a white man. I'm a Native American man. And, you know, I've my grandmother's from Barcelona. So the amount of expectations all those individual cultures place on you to be one of them, for them to perceive you as one of them, is brutal. It's it's brutal. Uh, if you don't speak the language, if you don't know all the ins and outs of the culture, you don't know yourself, so therefore you're not one of us. But I think there's something to be said about generational, evolutionary DNA of of eyes, ears, hands, techniques, skills that uh, whether you're aware of it or not, if you're really able to like lean into them, you produce. And uh, and and being in creatively nurturing environments where you can produce contributes to, to culture. To some extent, it's about trying to like honor my own identity um, and the people that have sacrificed a lot for me to get where I am today. And, um, you know, I think... Ironic as it might be, the, the, the struggle of being black in America and um, having the courage to have a voice, to express myself creatively, um, to continue, honestly, because there are times where you're just like, I don't know if I can keep going, is its own testament to what being black is in this country. Because um, no one ever mistakes me uh, for not being black. I think black visionaries, I think we have a certain drive and a certain boldness to our aesthetic. When I think about like Laquan Smith and Sergio Hudson, like all of these brands are like bold, like they're hard to miss. And I think, I just think from growing up black culture, like whenever there was an event or something, like we always dressed up. Like it's a big deal in African-American community to like dress up and go all out. And so I think that's one of the things that sets black designers apart from other um, designers. And I think just our drive and tenacity and like the will to succeed, like you can see it in everybody's work. Like we don't, you know, there's a certain amount of like professionalism and perfectionistness a little bit to it, I would say. Like, these brands, like, we we go all out and we do a good job. So I think that's what separates them from other designers. As Black History Month comes to a close, it's important to think about how we can keep these conversations going. In talking to Clarence, Megan, and Jonathan, I'm reminded that they already embody the start to a new legacy, one that will make it possible for the next generation of Black designers. The Invisible Seam is an original podcast created in partnership with the Fashion and Race Database, Tommy Hilfiger's People's Place program, 
and Pineapple Street Studios. I founded the Fashion and Race Database in 2017 to center and amplify the voices of people who've been racialized and marginalized in fashion. Our work, like this podcast, focuses on illuminating underexamined histories and addressing racism throughout the fashion system. I'm grateful to the Tommy Hilfiger People's Place Program for their support of this project. The People's Place Program exists to advance and support underrepresented communities in fashion and beyond. They've made this show possible. My co-visionaries are Randy Cousin, SVP Product Concepts and People's Place Program, and Dominique Baycoat, Manager, Earned Media Communications and People's Place Program. And from Pineapple Street Studios, our executive producers for The Invisible Seam are J.N. Berry, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Himya Friedman is our production coordinator, and Yinka Rickford-Engwin is our associate producer. This episode was produced by Natalie Brennan and me, Kimberly Jenkins. Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. We are engineered to perfection, or very close to it, by Davey Sumner. Our senior audio engineer is Pedro Alvira. Jade Brooks is our assistant engineer. Original music by Oaktown Soul and additional tunes from Epidemic Sound. Legal services for Pineapple Street Studios by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Day Rocher. Our show art was designed by Kurt Courtney and Lauren Vieira at Cadence 13. Thank you.